Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau. On today's episode, I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. To help us get through the quarantine doldrums, Wes and I went a bit off script, talking about sports writing in general, how we got into it, who our biggest influences are, etc. Wes, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, this is, I believe, our first podcast together, at least on my podcast, where we haven't been on, in the same room because we are listening to orders, we are following directives, and we are not uh, we are sheltering in place. We are not uh, leaving our apartments under for any reason. So, uh, Wes, what have you kind of been up to? I know you live in the city, so what, what have you been up to? Uh, just, you know, longingly looking out my window at the, uh, bright blue skies of the Bay Area, wondering when all of this is going to be over, uh, and trying to stay, um, as occupied as possible, which means when you text me this afternoon, hey, would you be down to do a podcast? I'm like, I don't even care what it's about. Let's do it. That's fine. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's I why mean, we're doing this. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way because our podcast numbers have been, through the roof um and i think it's just because people have a lot of free time and especially for people who live by themselves it's kind of nice to hear another voice just to yeah, remind you that I, uh, there are other people i, I have the i either have the tv on or music on or a podcast on 24 7 um just because i i live in a studio apartment in the city by myself so to like to to not see anybody for hours and days on end is really weird, but to not have anybody's voice around would also be really weird, which is why I like doing these podcasts. Like, um, right. I also feel like I've talked to my friends on the phone more than ever. Like, you know, you text your friends, like, all the time, right? But you never really talk to them on the phone. Now I feel like I've actually, like, gotten on the phone with my friends and my family more than I ever have because I think a lot of people are feeling that way. Yeah, it's been kind of nice in that respect. I feel like we've all kind of been forced to reconnect with the world at large, and you get off that hamster wheel a little bit, and you actually have free time, and you think about what matters. And so that's been that's been kind of nice. Um, I I have a roommate, and my roommate just he was in Arizona because he covers. Major League Baseball, and he just got back a few days ago, and I never thought I'd be so happy to have just another person <laughs> in the apartment to talk to. Um, but, you know, one thing we've been able to do now that we have more free time and we're not on the road is we've been able to read more. Uh, you know, I know we, we're both people that really kind of study the craft of writing. We care a lot about um, how we formulate stories and put together stories and um, we have people that we look up to. And I thought to kind of get through the doldrums of the quarantine, it'd be kind of fun to just talk a little bit about our inspirations, you know, a little bit of the craft of sports writing, what what got us into this, you know, just for those readers and listeners out there who maybe don't know a ton about us or a ton about what makes us tick. Um, so, uh, Wes, what kind of what kind of got you into this? What what made you decide that you wanted to be an NBA writer? Well, I think I wanted to be a sports writer. Uh, I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid, and so I mean, I remember even in kindergarten writing my own versions of Goosebumps books, like those novels, like those scary novels. Like I used to just write those with my friend, and I would we would write and illustrate like these novels, and I'm sure that they were great. I wish I bought copies of them, but. 
Uh, I, you know, just as far back as I can remember, I was writing, right? And so like, I remember, like, even when I would have to apologize to my parents, like, for being in trouble for something stupid that I did, instead of, like, going up to them and just, like, crying and asking them, like, desperately for their forgiveness, I would write a letter to them explaining why it is what I did, why I did what I did, and why I was sorry for what I did. It was like a disposition almost of, like, and I would just present it to them and was like, here's my case, please forgive me. And they'd be like, all right, well, you seem to put a lot of effort in that. You're cute. That'll work. Uh, so that was mostly how I got out of trouble when I was a kid. So it's like the writing thing has always served me well. Um, so I, I kind of always did that and just re- growing up, man, I was just, I would pick up the, like my favorite thing in the planet was the sports section on Sundays. My favorite day when I was a kid was Sunday, uh, because, um, you know, all my, you know, my, my folks were both home. None, neither of them worked on Sundays. So I got to see them. All my friends weren't at school, obviously. So, you know, I could hang out and go on bike rides and do whatever the hell little kids do. But every morning would start off with me reading the sports section, Sunday morning sports section of the of the South Florida Sun Sentinel or the Miami Herald, where I grew, I grew up in South Florida. And so I just remember, like, opening up the sports section, reading whatever the, the, guy, the people were writing about, about the Miami Dolphins or the Miami Heat or when I was a fan of them, the Florida Marlins. And and then just like staring also at the uh, the stats page, like newspapers used to have like a whole like page or like little boxes on these pages just dedicated to the stats. And my favorite ones were always the NFL stats, where it would have like you know the leading passers and the leading rushers and just like you would just get this inventory of what the entire league was doing. And like like you wouldn't even need like the stories to tell you; it would just like help put everything into context. So I I loved that, and I was like. I mean, kids these days now, like, they just, you know, go on ESPN and look at these stats. But to me, it was just, it was the newspaper. That's all I had to do all that stuff. So I would just, it was like the back of a baseball card, basically, for a lot of kids. Like, that that was that for me. So the newspapers in general were really important to me. And then the Sunday columns were always extremely important to me. Like, the perspective of these guys and their opinions and just, like, their well-crafted arguments and all these things. Um, you know, growing up in, in South Florida, we had a lot of great columnists. And so it was really fun to read those guys. Uh, Dan Lebetard was was still writing those days. Uh, Greg Cody for the Miami Herald was an also also a tremendous one, um, still writing over there. So uh, that's that's why I and never since then I just kind of did it. And you know, in high school I was on the sports staff and uh, or on the on the newspaper staff. I became sports editor within months of me getting there. Um, and then I just like kept doing it. Like I don't know. I just like I, I feel like I'm like you where it just like. It was a passion, sure, but I I kind of do it because I'm, it's just like the skill that I have, and so I just do it. Like it, it's something that I can legitimately put work into and get better at, and so I I appreciate that part of it. But also, I don't really know what else I would be doing if I wasn't doing this. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of my one discernible skill that sets me apart from anybody, uh, and so I just try to do it and try to get better at it. Yeah, um, I'm kind of the same way. Uh, when people ask me what else would you be doing if you weren't doing this, I, I don't have an answer. Um, I'm not sure there's anything I could be doing that would make me happy, uh, which <laughs> which is maybe a good art or bad. Or like, thing, what else? What else would people it. hire you for? That's the other question. Like, yeah. I don't know what I would be hired to do. If it, like I I've had other jobs. I just I would if I like before I got into into this. Like this is my first year as the Warriors beat writer. Before this, I was freelancing a lot, but I was a wine salesman. Like, yeah, and a lot of I, people don't know that about you. No, uh, you uh, have quite an interesting career trajectory. I do, and uh, but I wouldn't recommend it. 
I was a wine salesman because it's it's and I, I mean no disrespect to anybody in sales, it's easy to get into sales. It's very easy to get a sales job. It's hard to keep a sales job, okay? It's hard it's hard to get better year over year on your numbers and to to sort of, you know, meet those expectations. And man, if I didn't get this beat writing job when I did, I don't know how much longer I would have been a salesman. Not because I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to do it, I hated it, but because I probably would have gotten fired at some point. I wasn't very good at it by the end of it. So I, I don't know what at this point I would be hired to do if not this. Full disclosure, Wes and I got to know each other a couple of years ago because he was around Warriors practice a good amount, a lot of home games. And it was it took a while for me to actually learn that he was in wine sales. I just thought he was a full-time freelancer because he did it that much. He took it that seriously. Uh, and, and I took I, that much time off of wine sales, which is why I, I would have gotten fired. I couldn't believe that you had another job. Um, <laughs> but, uh, hey, you know, you're here now. That's uh, that's what matters. Um, yeah, for, for me, uh, very similar story. I, it's funny talking to a lot of sports writers. The the morning sports section is a, is a really iconic, important thing for a lot yeah. of us. And I, it definitely was a huge deal for me. Um, every morning I'd wake up, have my bowl of cereal, sit across from my dad. My dad would be reading the sports section, hand me the rest of the sports section, and we'd kind of read it together. It was kind of like this quiet bonding thing that we had. And uh, I read the Oregonian because I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and was a diehard Blazers fan, read our, read our Blazers coverage, every single article, was a huge fan of – the Blazers writer at the time at the Oregonian, Jason Quick, um, who is now at the Athletic, and then John Canzano, the columnist who is still at the Oregonian. I actually much later on got a chance to be their colleague. I worked with them at the Oregonian, which was kind of a surreal experience for me, working alongside people that I grew up really idolizing. I don't think that's an overstatement. Um, but the thing that I loved was they were really good at getting at what made these people tick, you know, what uh, what their lives were like away from the court. You know, I, I was a really huge, in high school, I was a really huge Brandon Roy fan, and I wanted to know everything possibly about him. And, uh, you know, then I'd get to wake up and read a big profile about Brandon Roy and his family. And I just, I thought that was just, the coolest thing ever. And I decided relatively early on in high school that, that I wanted to do that, you know, specifically I wanted to be an MBA beat writer. I wanted to tell those types of stories. And so I was sports editor of my high school paper, editor in chief of my high school paper, went to university of Maryland uh, ended up being sports editor there, covering men's basketball, football. And I, my career has been a little bit more linear probably than yours. Uh, I've just kind of, you know, got, you know, started out very briefly covering high schools and covered Oregon State. Uh, the Oregonian covered Cal at the Chronicle and then was promoted to the Warriors, which was kind of a dream come true because I'd always wanted – to cover the NBA and it just kind of so ha happened that the timing worked out where I got to come on the Warriors beat right after they signed Kevin Durant. So uh, very thankful to be doing something that 
I really have been dreaming about since I was 12 years old, and I try to, I try not to lose sight of that. I remember, like, just going back to newspapers really quick. I remember waking up on a morning in 2004 and reading that the Miami Dolphins had traded defensive end Edouard Agunlier to the Chicago Bears for wide receiver Marty Booker. And so nobody that listens to this podcast will remember that or who those people necessarily even are. But the thing that sticks out about that is just the shock of learning about that via newspaper the next day. Yeah. Like, <laughs> these days, you know, um, Adam Schefter would have just tweeted about it, on, and we all would have learned on Twitter with, like, a push notification. Like, I learned about Ricky Williams retiring, and by the way, like, Ricky Williams was my hero growing up. Like, he was – I had, like, three posters of him in my room. I read in the newspaper that he, like, shaved his head and then retired for smoking pot. And I was like, holy crap, what is this? Like, newspapers, like, had real significance like, for me, like, had formative moments for me. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. As far as basketball writing, too, and you, you and I have both covered, I don't know, every sport other than cricket at this point, I guess. But, like, I feel like basketball is the best one to write about. Do you agree? Yes. I mean, we're obviously biased, but I, I think it is for a few reasons. Um, what what are your reasons? Well, look, I think the NFL, it kind of has this, like, same sort of pattern every week, right? Like, you've got the the 17 weeks, and every week kind of feels the same, where the first two days you're looking backwards at the game. By Wednesday, you're starting to look forward at the game. By Friday, you're giving out predictions. And then, you know, Saturday, it's injuries injury reports and final, like, like you know, tying loose ends on what's going to happen in the in the game. And then Sunday, you cover the game. You've got the recap. And then on Monday, you've got the, Monday, the you know, armchair quarterbacking. And then you're back into that pattern, right? And it, it's, le- it's, it's, very, it's very – It's the closest thing there is in sports writing to a nine-to-five job. And any NFL or football writer will tell you that. And but, but as far as also just being a reader, like, look, I guess on one hand, it's nice to know what to expect. But it's very, to me, like, the NFL is very, you know, your fan base isn't as good as my fan base. It's very combative. The writing seems combative. The writing is just like, you know, this quarterback is, like, is a Super Bowl contender or, like, they sucks. You know, and it's just, it's, it's very, like, I'm not, an, I'm not an anti-analytics guy, you know. Like, I use a lot of analytics in my writing. Um, and I've been, like, people call me analytical all the time, which is weird because I got a D in math my last year of math. But whatever. Uh, it's. Uh, but it is almost overwhelmingly so in the NFL, you know, and I, I just, it's, it's all about the wins and the losses. Right. And then once it's, once you kind of distill it from wins and losses, it kind of just feels like it's all about the quarterback. Like nobody else matters yeah, in the NFL. There's only a few players in the NFL for each team that matter. Like usually the, the quarterback, maybe one defensive player, yeah. uh, the running back, um, maybe a star wide receiver, wide receiver. like a DeAndre Hopkins type. But the thing is, like, even when I was I, – I wrote about the – like, I wrote about the Miami Dolphins uh, for a little bit. And when I would – when even, like, on Twitter, it was just, like, people just attacked you. Like, it was, like, just such a bad, like, toxic atmosphere. And I'm like, let's be real here. I mean, you've got, like, the Ray Rice stuff and all all these things. Like, the the guys just kind of seem like, like jerks, like they're assholes. Like, I don't – like, like it's just – like, Roger Goodell is, like, a lousy commissioner. Like, it's just kind of a – it, everything's like negative and to- toxic and just not that much fun. Where the NBA, I think the people are genuinely interesting. 
all the players matter. You know, not they, they don't all matter the same, but they really do. Like, if you're playing, you matter. You can affect the game. Like, you, you know, we have seen this a hundred times where one one bad link in a basketball game can make or break. Like, it doesn't matter if you have LeBron James or Steph Curry on your team. Like, if you have a bad link that could just be attacked over and over again, like, your chances of winning, you know, plummet. And that's not necessarily the case, it feels like, in the NFL. You know, you could just not throw to that wide receiver who can't catch. or You know what I mean? So, right. um, I, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know. I just, in my experience, having written a lot about a lot of different sports, um, the, the atmosphere, even just, like, the fans, who read the NBA just tend to be like more fun to engage with, smarter to engage with, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, not, a, it's a more pleasant to, atmosphere. Not to heat too much on other sports, but I filled in on our A's beat off and on for about a month when Susan Slusser, uh was helping out with our San Jose Sharks coverage when they made the Stanley Cup. And I, before that, I thought I might be open to being a baseball writer as like a backup plan if the NBA didn't work out. But after about a month helping out, I, I decided it wasn't for me. Uh, it's just too many, too many games. Uh, it's kind of it's 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 there's so many games that it becomes a lot of game stories and notebooks, and it, there's not a lot of room for right longer pieces or enterprise or analysis and those are the things I really love to do um so that's that's kind of where I stand on baseball I think I think basketball is just the perfect middle ground where there's enough games to kind of keep it keep it moving but it's it there aren't too many where it becomes all about the games and 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 like look and as far as the access it's better like it, the the NBA is really it, it is a like, person league and i don't say that as a cliche i mean that as a business model like this is a star driven league and we are going to cater to our stars as far as putting them up you know presenting them to the media and you know showcasing them in ways that make sense where the nfl is very militaristic right like it is it has like this military style like you will do as the organization does type of vibe and that's just like where these coaches come from and you know, these, like, good old boy owners and, and general managers for the most part, like, that's that's their, that's sort of what the, the, the cloth that they are cut from. And with that becomes a limited amount of access, right? They don't see the, the like, Bill Belichick is the best coach in the league, right? And he's just sort of, like, a no-access guy. Like, it's, and so the access, I think, in the NFL overall isn't the same as, as the NBA, who, as a league, really gets it. Like, they understand, and look, I, I'm, this is not a woe is the media type situation. I'm just these are the facts, right? Like fans want to read and consume things about their favorite players, and a lot of fans don't understand that that comes from the media, but it really does. And to not give the media the access that they need to tell those stories and to provide that content uh, for the fans, that's sort of what I think gets the NFL in trouble a lot. Unless, of course, they just don't want people to know more about their players, which is entirely right. possible. Because, like I said, they're kind of you know, not great people sometimes, but um, not to generalize. Uh, but the the NBA just doesn't simply have the same problems that the NFL does, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that their their the fans get to know their players and appreciate them, and then that's why you get guys like LeBron James who can play for three different teams and still be the most popular player in the in the world, right? Is because yeah. of, like people get to know them. And we're super lucky obviously because we we cover the warriors and they have arguably 
the best PR staff, not just in the league, but in professional sports. And they go out of their way to be accommodating and, and give us access and, you know, give us those scenes and those moments that really make our stories and, and, and make the experience for our readers. And so we owe them a lot of credit and it's a very, I think, healthy working relationship that yeah. Ray Ritter has fostered between his staff and the beat writers and the media that covers the Warriors. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm writing a story tomorrow that was a brainchild of Ray Ritter. You know, he had a really good idea that was, you know, very timely and, and relevant. And, you know, I'm looking for story ideas. And so I'm writing that tomorrow. And, you know, you can't, not every, and I know you've experienced that many times as well. And not every beat writer has that sort of benefit. You know, a lot of times right. it's very much a, an adversarial relationship where you're just begging for any sort of access. And really with the Warriors, it's been the opposite. And uh, that's part of why I love covering the NBA is just they get it, you know. They understand what our job is. Now, this maybe isn't true with every team, but the vast majority of NBA teams understand what the media's job is, and they understand that it can be a healthy, mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, and again, it start, It really does, like, it starts at the top when it comes to the league where, you know, you've got certain rules in place that allow the media to have access. And there are some teams that are not following those rules. I mean, what have you read interesting about Kawhi Leonard in a year? Nothing. It's because the Clippers aren't following the rules. Like, Yeah, and that's not and, a knock against the people that cover the Clippers. No, it's not a knock. Like, I think there's yeah. tremendous people covering the Clippers. Their PR staff, though, is not following the rules. And they, like, I think the interesting thing with what's going on with the Warriors right now and why you and I are able to tell, like, good stories is because uh, I, I think that their PR staff matches the quality of the beat writers. And I do think that the Clippers and the Lakers, for this matter, too, actually have really good beat writers. But their respective PR staffs don't match that quality of the writer. And they're just, they don't get it, man. Like, this is, like, there should be, like, if if L.A. is the epicenter for the NBA, which it absolutely is and should be right now, then why haven't we read anything interesting about Kawhi Leonard? More, like, I know Kawhi's not very interesting in the first place, but... Like Paul George, like what? Why aren't we hearing more stuff about him? I mean, he's had an incredibly every weird person, four years. Every person in the world is interesting, okay? Right. And I think Kawhi. such a cop out when people <laughs> say when people say, "Oh, I can't write about that guy because he's boring." You might have to and dig look, a little bit more. You might have to call more people. You might have to, you might have to, you know, put in some more work, but. You can find something. And I read during the finals last year, I read several Kawhi Leonard profiles that were literally the angle of them were, were Kawhi Leonard is boring. And I'm, right. I'm sorry, but why would I read that? Why would I read a story where the angle of the story is this guy's boring? And and let's be honest. I mean, the threshold for interesting with a star player like Kawhi Leonard is really low. Like if yeah. you have an interesting anecdote, you're good. You have a story. I mean, that's why the, uh, you know, board man gets paid thing took off. Like, does anybody else remember? Like, look, it was a good oral history. But does anybody else remember any part else of that story? No. Everybody just remembers yeah. board man gets paid. What was the other thing that he said? He actually he didn't even say it. Something about apples. 
that like got like it was I a forget. viral tweet. Can you even actually say it? But now everybody assumes that Kawhi said it. You want to know why everybody assumes Kawhi said it? Is because he's said so little to the media that even a fake thing can take hold and people just remember yeah. it. Like I don't remember half the stuff that LeBron said when he was in Cleveland or Miami because he was available. Play. I haven't read a single interesting thing about LeBron in a year and a half. Right. Because that staff doesn't cater to the media. And it's a shame because LeBron James is the athlete of our generation. And anything on him is worth writing. And we just there's just not that much out there to, to, to read or, or on, a, consume. on a smaller level, when I got on the Warriors beat a few years ago, I was told and I assumed that play was boring because not really that much has been written about him given how famous he was, given the fact that he was an all-star level guy, one of the greatest shooters of all time already at that point in his career. And I just kind of almost wrote him off in my mind as, you know, I I probably aren't, I'm not going to find a lot of good stories there. And then I realized very quickly they're there. You just have to seek them out. Um, He may be the most interesting player on the team. Oh, exactly. Uh, He's, fascinating to me and I, some of my favorite stories I've written on the beat are about him because he's just there aren't a lot of people out there who are as ignorant in some ways to their own fame as he is and their own celebrity and as genuine <laughs> and down to earth as he is and that to me makes him interesting because he's unique in that way there aren't <laughs> no one's like Clay uh, and um, so I've really enjoyed kind of over the past few years chipping away at his story. And, and, you know, the thing as a beat writer is since you're around him every day, you really have, it really challenges your creativity and finding something new to say about these people and, and getting really specific. I mean, we've written stories that get <laughs> really detailed because, we don't have the benefit of necessarily swooping in every once in a while and doing that huge takeout. We we have to find content every day. And so um, I find that to be kind of a, a challenging but fun part of the job. Yeah. Um, are we done commiserating about the challenges of our job? Do we want to talk about something else? Uh, <laughs> well, I said it was fun too, so I don't, I don't, yes, think, you did. I was, I don't think I was. All right, are we done, are we done bragging about how awesome there. our jobs are? <laughs> what, I know you what, want. What do you want? One to of the say? things. Well, one of the things you mentioned. Now I feel bad. About, like I'm just. Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's a good. No, this is. A, we were. I think we we're a good stopping point for that conversation. But uh, I. One of the things you mentioned uh, before we started recording here was just some of our inspiration for writing and stuff like that. And that to me is pretty interesting to talk about. Um, some of the uh, I, I don't feel like I got into that a little bit. Like I mentioned, like Dan Levitard and Greg Cody and things like that. But who do you like? Where do you think that this? Where do you think this is going? This this industry now. Like let's get a little let's get a little forward looking here. Like we know that right before the league called this hiatus, that there was uh, a ban on reporters in locker rooms. Right. I don't think either of us thinks that that's going to 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 be in place when when all this stuff is sorted out. I think the NBA is in general is generally smarter and values media in a way that they wouldn't do that. Um, I don't think the media would allow that. Let's just be frank about it. But um, where do you think this is going? Because uh, you and I have had private conversations a lot about this. I know, like 
you know, everything's digital right now. Everything's kind of consumable. Uh, where do you feel like, how do you feel about the, the state of the industry right now? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, it's evolving in a big way. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't think that, I think the print form as we know it is slowly being phased out. Uh, I think there are certain newspapers, uh, I'd like to think that Chron the Chronicle is one of them, uh, that will last the test of time. Um, but digital is where it is. That's where, that's, that's where the money's being made now. That's where the eyeballs are. And digital allows a lot more freedom as a writer in a lot of ways, um, where we can, we have more room, we have more we can do with the formatting and, and the layout and, and all those types of things. And so I kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm kind of embracing it. Um, cause I think it allows us to do, to do more. Um, but I do think that on a basic level, even though we live in a world where being first matters and, uh, you know, the news cycle is 24 hours, I do think good writing and good storytelling are always going to matter. I, always, I do think there's always going to be a platform and a need for that. I just, I guess the question is, then what become, what is good storytelling these days? Uh, I would argue that some of the best storytelling right now is happening on podcasts, right? Like how yeah. many times, like the New York times, what they're doing and, you know, things like Serial obviously started this whole thing, but a lot of the best storytelling is happening on podcasts where you can hear the voices of your interview subjects and, um, you know, there's sort of a an emotional level to it that you can't quite, like it's a, it's an emotional level that's not um, like a column necessarily where it's the writer's emotion, but you can feel the emotion of your subject. So it's, a, it's sort of this objective sort of emotion that you're able to add that otherwise is really, really hard to convey in writing, and I would say in some cases even impossible, right, that level of emotion. If you can hear, you know, it's one thing to write as as she was, uh, you know, holding back tears versus hearing her voice quivering as she's holding back tears on a podcast. Um, and I, you know, I could also make the argument that sometimes seeing it in a written form is, hits even harder. Uh, it depends, no, it depends yeah. on what it is. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I just, I, I think that that's sort of the question now is, and I agree with you overall, I, I think quality is going to stand the, like, the test of time. And I think we're seeing that right now with the coronavirus stuff where it, it's it's the quality that you're going to, right? And what I keep going back to is the Washington Post because I think they've done awesome, an awesome job with the coverage. Uh, so I just, I keep reading the Washington Post because I know that I'm going to get quality there and the quality is there. And so I think when people start seeing the quality, it kind of, you know, the cream rises to the crop. I think that's going to happen regardless. Um, I just wonder when it's on, when it's a digital format, it's just how do you, how do you present that information to people? How do people want that information is I think the question that we're all sort of grappling with, whether or not it's podcasts or, you know, uh, you know, capsule format type of things or uh, maps and illustrations or, or things like that. And the answer is different for all your different subjects and things that you're writing about, but it's now finding what the correct version of it is, right? There used to be a day where if you and I were Warriors beat writers in 1970, there was no, there was, that wasn't a question. Just do the best you can with, you know, right. the 25 inches of print that you have in tomorrow's paper. Just do the best right. you can with that. And that's your story for the day. Now you, like you have a podcast, 
you have interesting layout options at the Chronicle. You can you have uh, graphic designers that can do stuff. Like we have to ask ourselves, and as editors, they have to ask themselves, what is the best way to format this? And I think that is the way we have to get creative. So before we get out here, I'm just going to leave you with one question: What, who, is your favorite sports writer, and why? And I know you could probably give me a list of five or ten amazing sports writers that you love, but Name me one name and why. Like right now or uh, in the past? Like, can, do they? What? Yeah. I'll, I'll say someone who's been influential for you. I think Dan Lebetard. I know I mentioned him earlier, but to me, I think the, a, a good columnist is really, really important to a local market. Um, and when I say good, like a columnist can also be a journalist, and I just don't know that we can like that we view them as the same thing anymore. And right. to me, Dan Lebetard was both. Um, he wasn't just – and to me – so what a good columnist should do, and a good local columnist, that's, what, that's what's important. The national columnists or whatever, I don't really care for national columnists. Local columnists are, I think, extremely important to local sports fans. And the reason why is because a good one doesn't tell you what to think, but tells you already what you're thinking and how you're feeling. And that, to me, is what Dan Lebetard would get at because he was connected to the community in a way and he did real reporting and he was, a, he was, a, he was part of the, the, the threads of the towns that he was living in, of Miami. And, and to me, I think a lot of sports columnists right now get out there and just spew hot takes and say, here's what I think and this is why you should think and if you don't think it this way, you're wrong. And that doesn't, that's not a columnist to me. That's, that's Skip Bayless. And I'm like, I don't want to read Skip right. Bayless. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, so I want uh, to me they can it's an emotional thing and they could tap into what I'm feeling and then illustrate it and explain it in a way that really hits home that I otherwise couldn't do right if I'm not a writer uh or even if I was a writer that they can just do it in such a way that really hits home and can be informative and can be journalism still but it's emotional journalism and it's it's uh it's fair and it's accurate uh, but it has to do with feelings. That to me is, and so Dan Lovatard hit that. And for me, I've always strived to do that, whether it's in my beat writing or anytime I'd write anything opinion-based or anything like that, that to me is that balance and that nuance uh, and the and, and just being careful with it is what really inspired me. Yeah, I think he's a great example. Um, for me, they're like, there's a, as you know, there's a lot of names I could say, but the, the name I'm going to put out there right now is, is John Branch, New York Times. Um, Warriors fans might be most familiar with him from the, the big profile he did a few years ago on Steve Kerr, where he went to he went to Lebanon and and traced his his father's final steps, and um, it was a beautiful piece and just a, one of many examples of why he's phenomenal what he does he's just really good at getting at the heart of what make pe- what makes people tick um, he's really good at getting at the intersection of sports and society um, and everything he writes just digs deeply and there's there's a real there's a real reporting and there's real nuance to it and I think sometimes in sports it can be really easy as you kind of alluded to earlier to just kind of turn something out and do a one source story or do a no source story and just kind of pump it out and, and fulfill that label of us being that toy department. But, Mm -hmm. uh, 
true sports writing at its core, great sports writing is founded in in reporting and insight. And he's a great example of that. And uh, he actually lives in the Bay Area, so it's been cool yeah. getting to pick his brain at times. Uh, one one cool thing was uh, well, not cool, I guess, but um, when when Kobe Bryant passed a few weeks ago, we were he was actually at Warriors practice randomly that day mm-hmm. for an assignment and the news broke and we were talking to him and he uh he just kind of took it in and was stunned like the rest of us and then a couple of days later I go on Twitter and he tweets out this phenomenal piece where he had gone down to uh he had gone to Calabasas and gone to the church where you know fragments of the helicopter had had hit and he t- talked to all these people and did this amazing piece about uh about Kobe's final moments and you know we had just seen him two days earlier and then he's able to just go down and turn something out like that um so he wrote he wrote my favorite thing on Oracle the last year of Oracle too for the New York Times was really good yeah everything he does is incredible um but uh Wes thank you so much for joining me I really appreciate it hopefully one of these days I'll be able to see you in person again um (laughs) until then uh where should they follow you where where should people find your stuff uh you can follow me on twitter at wc goldberg you can read the stuff over at the mercurynews.com all right thanks man our thanks to wes goldberg for joining me on the podcast it's always great talking warriors with him warriors off court is a production of the san francisco chronicle support warriors off court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod 